man who had died and went to the gates of heaven. And as he stands um, at the gates, Peter stands by and says, um, you're not coming in. And Peter says, tell me why I should let you into heaven. You list out all your reasons and I will score those reasons. And if you can score 100 points, I will let you in. So it's almost like Department of Transport. You've got to prove who you are. Um, so the man begins to think and, and tells his points. One, I regularly came to church every Sunday. Two points. For those who go, oh, the thing isn't it worth more than that? Like, no, two points. Um, so many, many years um, coming regular church fetched him only two points. He was thoroughly disappointed. Secondly, I gave my offering and my tithes. Three points. He, he thought hard and said, oh, um, I shared about, um, I, I participated in ministry. Another two points. And number four, um, I shared about Jesus to two of my friends. Five points. And he sits there and counts up and goes, I'm only at 12 points. And he gets, he gets, he gets almost to the point I'm going, oh, this is, this is not looking good. And he, he mutters out loud, but he goes, I can only enter by the grace of God. And immediately the gates of heaven open up and he, he's able to walk in because it is by grace alone that we have access to God. And we do nothing and did nothing to earn entry into heaven. And today we're going to be talking about the gracious heart or having a gracious heart. And as Christians, we're okay with the idea of, of a godly heart. We're called to be godly and going, yep, I want to do what's right. And, and last week we talked about having a courageous heart. And again, that resounds with us. If, it's like, again, even though we might be facing challenges that scare us and, and things that we're uncertain or have, have our faith may not be strong enough to face, the idea of being like David and to be able to face the giants in our life, it's, it's, got, it's kind of appealing. But today we're going to be talking about having a gracious heart, a heart that forgives, a heart that lets go, a heart that lets things slide. And, and the thing is, it's not, this is not something that is common in the world at all. In fact, grace is one of these things that you cannot find it in any other religion whatsoever. If you look at the world religions, religions grace is not there because re, every other world religion, it is based upon what you can do to please a God or gods so that you can appease him for the next life. Like if you're a Hindu, you are at work every multiple life that you have because you've got to sort of do better and better and better. Otherwise, you're going to go from being a human being to a cockroach. That's, that's what happens if you don't live, do well enough. Or, or if you do well, you, you go, and this is the thing, and you'll go from a person to a cow. Like that's a step up in the Hindu idea. Whereas in Australia, like, like that's, that's probably not where you want to do, especially in Rockhampton. You don't want to be a cow in Rockhampton. Like, um, um, so, but, but the thing is, grace is this unique thing where God has actually done everything for us and all we have to do is accept it. Um, and so today is what we're going to be talking about. Um, and the story of Mephibosheth, it doesn't begin here in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, it doesn't, the context of it actually is, it goes a lot before this. And so what I'm going to be doing today, I'm going to be sort of spending quite a bit of time on the backstory leading up to this story. So for those who are wanting to write notes, you won't be writing notes for a long time. So just put your pens down, relax, 
Don't sit there waiting because you'll get cramps waiting. It's going to take a while to get there. But because the, the backstory to Mephibosheth and understanding the context is actually understanding fully the story of Saul and David's interaction with him. Because David actually showed grace throughout his life at different times in different circumstances. And we want to look at that. But I'm going to start with this question. Who should we extend grace to? Everyone. Okay, let's get a bit more specific then. Because that's, that's, the, that's the right answer, but it's not the right answer. Like, it's, who, who, should we, who should we give it to? Who sh- what was that? Parents, yep. Fellow Christians. Husband. I'm not sure this is going in an order here. Like, okay, you've got to give it to your parents, um, fellow Christians, and then your husband's a little bit lower down. I'm not, not sure there, but anyone who wrongs us. Oh, David's going on, the, on the, the lower scale there. Who else? One another, yep. Neighbours. So this, this is some of the stuff I put in. You know what? I started at the place that we don't want to start at. We need to show grace to our enemies. Because the thing is, if you don't show grace to your enemies, you're only showing grace to people that have earned your favour. It's not actually grace. And so I'm thinking we might as well start at the hardest point. We need to show grace to our enemies. We need to show grace to those who have hurt us, as David said. We actually need to show grace to those people who have just let us down a little bit. Like we've got a higher expectation of them. And sometimes that is as parents. So we need to show grace to our kids because they let us down. And I suppose the, the same is true. Our kids need to show grace to us because we may have let them down. Because like, um, I don't know about everyone else, but parents do make mistakes. Um, and so some of the kids are going, not in my house they don't. Well, that's what they say. But yeah, like we, we, we need to show grace to those who have let us down. We need to show grace to those who have forgotten us. Sometimes people, we kind of go, oh, they just have... I'm not special to them anymore. I'm not, I'm not even thought about. Like, I'm overlooked. And they may have so much happening in their life that they can't think about one more thing, but we get offended by it and we need to be able to show grace in that situation. But on the flip side, we actually need to show grace and honour to those who help us and hold us up. We need to show grace to those who support us. And so what I want to do, before we get to the story um, told in Second Samuel, I want to tell you three other sort of, I suppose, snapshots of David's life as he interacts with Saul and, and how he shows his grace in that situation. First, I want to look at David in the wilderness. And there's quite a bit of story for, for that because what eventually happens, David, um, he after he kills Goliath, he becomes part of the army and he actually starts winning battles for Saul. Um, and he gets lots of recognition. And the more he gets recognition, the more jealous and angry Saul becomes. Um, so much so that Saul tries to kill him on a number of occasions. And in the end, David's got no choice but to, to flee into the wilderness. But what happens was in the wilderness, people are actually drawn to him. So he starts developing a, an army that is not actually meant to oppose Saul, but just to to survive and live. So Saul is actively pursuing him. And there's a couple of different interactions that we see. First of all, there's a story of a cave. Um, and, and so Saul goes in basically to relieve himself. And David's army is hiding in that cave. Okay? Now, it's not like a little toilet because you can't hide behind the cistern in your household. It would have been a massive cave. And so while he's there, Saul is just taking it easy. And one of David's men saying, okay, he's right in front of us with his underpants down, let's kill him. 
Like, it would be really easy. And David says no. And, and the little interaction there, and, and David, I suppose, shows Saul, oh, look what I could have done. I actually cut off the, the edge of your cloak, and I was there. I could have killed you, but I let you live. Saul's ashamed. He goes off, and David sort of has a bit of a reprieve. But Saul quickly forgets what happens, and he pursues him again. And so this second into, uh, Saul's got this uh, army camp that's basically there, and David's army is not far away and what David does with one other man they sneak into the campsite now that shouldn't be possible Saul's men should have made that sure that didn't happen but I don't know whether it was a skill of David and his men or whether God just put sleep upon the soldiers or or the soldiers were really bad or a mix of all that but David again gets to the point where Saul is sleeping right in front of him Saul's own weapons are right beside the bed. The sword, the armour, the spears are all right there. And so all of a sudden what happens, the, the, the person that's with David saying, hey, let's grab that spear and let's kill him right now. Now you've got to understand why that sounds like a logical thing to do. Because all of a sudden David has become, in a sense, an outlaw. He's living in the wilderness. He is um, basically forced to stay away from his family and friends. He is not living in comfort of any means. He's, he's living basically um, rough camping. And so he is considered an outlaw. But at the same time, what, didn't Samuel actually anoint him to be king? So you could feel that sense within David going, do you know what? I, I, yeah, let's, 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 let's get ahead. Let's get God's plan happening here. God has provided him into my hand. And so with all the peace and, and that David's prevented from happening, all the rest that he's prevented happening, it would make sense what that soldier said. But the thing is, David shows us why acting with grace keeps us on an obedient path. David never let the circumstances compromise his convictions he actually saw king saul as anointed by god that was what he actually repeats that phrase over and over again and he says i am not god to raise my hand against him i am not god to be able to do that i can't take it into my hands to do that and to force god's plan of action and we actually see that through scriptures at times where people are going outside of god's plan to help god along Abraham did that when, he, when he, he basically had a child with someone that wasn't his wife. And, and so we see what happens in when that happens and those situations occur. But David said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let the circumstances compromise my convictions. And this is where you can say, but, but, but that person has really hurt me. Don't they deserve what's coming to them? Well, they may very well deserve that. Saul deserved this. But David showed grace. See, while the timetable is almost never what we wish it, God's timing um, and, and is, is always the best timing. And to trump God's timetable would lead to a pattern of impatience and would cause a pattern of imprudence in decision making. When we actually ha- go ahead of God's plan, to put it bluntly, we get it wrong. And the worst thing is we actually develop a pattern of getting it wrong and accepting those consequences. We follow God's plan. It is always, um, uh, it goes well. See, impatience almost always leads to dishonesty or shortcuts or poor quality or weak integrity. And that is not 
the king God called David to be. And it's not the person God had called you to be. So David leaves that situation. He goes up on the hill, yells out over the whole camp saying, Hey, Saul, this is your spear that you were just cuddling. I've got it in my hand. This is your water jug. Um, I've got this in my hand. That means I was just next to you. Again, I could have taken your life. And Saul again goes off in shame, but again, it doesn't end. And David ends up making a really tough decision to leave Israel altogether at this time. And he goes and actually joins the Philistines. Now, why is that so strange? Who, who did he kill last week? Goliath. And so now he's actually living in a little town called Ziklag. And he is, is there and he's, he's protecting his own people. But he's, he's basically sworn a type of fealty to the Philistines. And so what happens, um, there is a big campaign against the Israelites. And the Philistines are marching to do battle and David is called upon. Now, again, that would have been a tough call because David goes, if I disobey the Philistines, I'm actually going to be forced into a situation where um, I cannot, like, um, um, I won't be able to live here anymore. In fact, they might actually turn against me real quickly. If I go and fight, though, with the Philistines... I'm going to be raising my arm, my arms against the Israelites, my brothers. I'm going to raise my sword against the anointed king of Israel. So fortunately along the way, God, he turns the, the hearts of the Philistines going, we don't trust David to do the right thing in battle. So he sent away, sent back to Ziklag. But what happens when they get back to their little town where they've been living with their, their little sort of um, militia that they had gathered, they found that while they were away, the Amalekites had come in and had raided their, their village and taken off their goods, they'd taken off their wives, they'd taken off their children. So they've just marched home, they are tired, um, and, and they've got no plunder from any battle, so they've actually gone to work for no pay. Um, and, and so, but all of a sudden, and their home has now been invaded, so they probably feel a little bit sort of um, um, defiled in that sense. So they gather the army up again, and they, they march after the Amalekites, but not too long goes in and all of a sudden what happens is that some of the men are too worn out to go on. They go, we can't go on any further. We just, we can't. And so basically what they do, they, they, they dump a whole lot of their gear and those 200 men stay behind. To keep the story short, what happens, David runs, runs ahead with, with his men and they catch up with the Amalekites. They face them in battle. They fight all day and they conquer them. They reclaim their goods, they reclaim their families, and they, they head back. But the thing is, they get to a point where they, they come back together and, and, and some of the men who had actually gone to battle sort of said, the men who did not, the men who were too tired to go on, they don't deserve anything. We'll give them back their families and that's it. They don't get any plunder. But you know what you need to remember? The, the plunder was actually their gear to begin with. So imagine someone comes in and raids your home and takes your, your TV player or your iPhone or whatever, maybe your dog, if whatever's special to you. And then you go, oh, I can't go face the enemy, but someone else does it. So you know what? I'm going to keep that thing that's special to you. I'm going to keep it because you didn't do any of the fighting. Well, that was effectively what was going to happen. And David, being the leader of this group, he understood that this was going to be difficult because it was actually going to be... If, if, he, if he went one way and said, okay, you guys don't get anything, and you go back to Ziklag, what they would have seen is that, oh, you're wearing my favourite pair of jeans around town. 
but they're no longer mine. Or you're, you're, you're driving my brand new whatever car down, or my brand new chariot with a brand new horse in it uh, and going, I, I don't have that anymore. So David made a call. He said, no, we, we actually need to show these men grace. They have let us down. They haven't lived up to our expectation. But again, they are deserving of, of some grace. It's not that they didn't want to achieve this. It's not that like they've turned against us and, and they just couldn't go on. In fact, David actually sets up a principle here that would go, go ahead of him um, throughout his time as king because what would happen is that um, anyone who didn't fight, they would still receive a share of the plunder. And this was a way that soldiers would often sort of uh, incorporate their, their, their living and doing that. And so again, we see David um, is, is, showing, is, is not only showing grace, but he's teaching others how to show grace as well. Because again, these people have failed them in some way. And I'm sure that's happened for you. Someone has, has just let you down. They, they may not have meant it. Like there, there are the people who just don't care about you and they've gone out and hurt you. But there are the people that they, they're meant to care about you, but they've hurt you because of whether it's just a failing or, or an, an unthoughtfulness. And all of a sudden that actually can really hurt as well. David said, in those situations, we, we need to show grace. We, 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 we can't sort of measure everyone at the same bar all the time. Next, next story, it's kind of happening concurrently at this point in time. That battle that David was going towards um, with Israel, it, it, it ends up happening. And so the Philistines come against King Saul and the Israelite army, and the Israelites actually suffer... A, a mighty loss during that time. And not only is it a mighty loss, but during the battle, King Saul is killed and most of his sons are killed. And so this is a significant loss. And reports come back to David of, of this. And the thing is, though, this is what you've got to realize. For a number of years now, David has lived in the wilderness. He has lived in an enemy country because of what King Saul was doing. And, and David knew all along that God's plan for his life was to be the next king. So this is where, this, this, as he receives this news, some of us would probably get by that point, we'd almost be, have that inner rejoicing that our enemy is gone now. The pathway forward is, is gone. That, that, that obstacle that was in our way has been removed and, and now... I can, I can go ahead. And so some of us wouldn't be in a rejoicing. We would have the party blowers out, the party hats going, King Saul is gone. We can now go move into the palace. It is all set up for us. But do you know what David does? He mourns. He actually honors them in his mourning. He remembers, he remembers the king that King Saul was. He remembers what he did for the country. And he honors him. He honors Jonathan as well, his best friend. And so even though King Saul has, has been removed as a blockage for, for David's journey into kingship, David shows grace in remembering him. He does not sort of rejoice or celebrate at his enemy's loss. Now the thing is, okay, put it, let's put it in this sense. Okay, Queensland lost the second state of origin. Or 
they didn't really show up to the second state of origin or the first one. Now, the thing is, so nothing's going to happen this year, but next year, if we're, we're Queenslanders, we're watching, and Queensland wins 3-0, and we win 60-0, 60-0, I'm sure there will be some Queenslanders who celebrate at the deafening loss of New South Wales. We, we won't be showing any grace at all. But that's not real life. It's not really real things. But when, when those people around us, when they, they fall, they, those people that have caused us pain, those people that have been obstacles in our way, are we able to show grace to them during those times? Okay, so that's a bit of the context. We're going to understand that because that's leading up to Mephibosheth, um, the guy that, imagine him having to write his name at school. Like, first day of grade or prep, can you write your name? No, not even my parents can write my name. Like, um, um, but the thing was, okay, quick question. What, what is grace? What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, a, it's a, a, an acronym that you can use. What was the one over here? Forgiveness, yep. So grace is definitely connected to, to forgiveness. It's not the moment before we eat. Okay, let's say grace. And, and, and a lot of us go, oh, and, and this is what I find. Since I've been a pastor, for some reason, people think I went to Bible college to learn how to say grace because no one else can seem to say grace while I'm there um, unless there's another pa- pastor there who, who has learned to say grace even better than me. But, but the thing is, like, we kind of go, grace, and, we, and, and the thing is, you don't want to get that person who goes, because when you can smell the food in front of you, you don't want that person who wants to give a five-minute grace. You don't want a 10-minute grace. You want a 10-second grace. We, we just want you to say thank you to God so we can start enjoying what God has given us. Um, and so, but again, like, that's not what grace is. Grace is central to the gospel. As I said earlier, grace is one of these unique things to the Christian gospel that is not found anywhere else. And, and you'll see why today. And this is the other thing that's true about grace. If you do not experience it, you cannot pass it on. It must be first received before it can be given. So grace is, uh, a term I want to use is unmerited favour. Unmerited favour. It's actually getting something good that you have not earned. Okay, like if, if you do really well on a test, you get an A. And, and, and if you do, if you're in prep, you do really good work, you get a sticker. If you do really well at work, you get a bonus. Um, if you do really well at church, you get a pat on the back. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. But like, the, the thing is, when you do something really good and you get something for it, that's not unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. There is nothing that you have done to God, to God to look at you and go, you know what? You are really deserving of all the good things I give to you. You are so awesome. Yeah, some of us, we, we think that way. We think, oh, look, I, when it comes to sinners, I'm this close to being perfect. I only need a little bit of grace. I've earned the rest of it. That's how we think. But grace is unmerited favour. And, and what we need to realise is that, firstly, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve grace. And I don't deserve what, um, what God desires for me. Do you realize that God, in his loving plans for us, he, he wants the best for us, yet we are not deserving of that. And some of us actively run away from God's plans for us at times, even though they are so good. 
In 2 Samuel um, 9, 1, David said, he asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to I who I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, it's an interesting way he's put it. Is there anyone in the house of Saul? Because often anyone left from the previous ruling family would actually see be seen as opposition or possible opposition. And so, so David, like if he was, if he acted like other kings of the time, he should have been looking for a way to remove the house of Saul off the earth. But what does he do? He says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can actually show kindness to, who I can actually bless, who I can actually show grace to? And so, David has told the story of Mephibosheth. He's living in a place that um, is called, um, what was the name? Lo, Lodabar. Lodabar. And basically that meant a wilderness area where nothing grew. And so Mephibosheth, who was the grandson of the king, he was the child of the heir of the throne, has basically, and he, and his dad died when he was about five years old, and because he was dropped when they were fleeing for their lives, he basically ended up, he ended up his whole life being lame. He, been lame in both feet. And so Mephibosheth's life has not amounted to much at all. He could have been bitter because of everything he faced, but where he was living didn't produce much of a, of an income for him. He didn't have much at all. And in fact, what David did didn't actually bring him any result. You know sometimes when you, you do something nice for him to get something nice back? Or you may, you may not deal with that intention, but it's like he's a good friend to have like because he can do this for me. There was nothing that Mephibosheth could bring to the table going, David, this is going to make you like me more. Look at me dance. No, I can't do that. Uh, look at me do this. I can bring you fruit and veggies. No, I can't do that. Look at the money I can bring you. No, I can't do that. Look at the influence I can bring. No, I can't bring you any influence. And so there was nothing that, that Mephibosheth was, was able to do to say, David, bless me. And yet David looked to be a blessing. You see, what we need to realize is that we should seek to give the undeserved, which is grace, to the undesirable. And this is why grace is such a dynamic thing. And this is why grace, will, and when it's properly understood and lived out, it will draw people to God. Because all of a sudden, we go up to people that are undesirable and we give them something that they don't deserve. We give them our love. We give them our time. We give, sometimes we give money out of our pockets. We, we, sometimes we bring them goods. We, we, we pour into them the lives, the, the essence of grace. And sometimes that comes through in practical means. It may mean forgiveness of people who are undesirable to give forgiveness to. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that most of us have that one person like, and, and maybe they're like in our in our lives. It's like it's like the superhero. It's like it's our arch enemy, that that person that like when we think of them, oh, it produces that feeling. We go I, and 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 again, and mate, this may be showing my my spiritual poor form, but those people that you go, oh, I don't want anything bad to happen to them, but I'm and I won't rejoice if it did. But there'll be a a pleasant peace that comes over my life when when they suffer. 
Like, oh, yeah, they didn't win, and I did. Yay for me. Oh, Sometimes we act like that, and we need to flip that around totally and go, you know what? They are undesirable. Yeah, but we're going to give them what they don't deserve. That's grace in action. And the reason that David understood this is this next point I want to make. Because David understood, I can't earn it what God entrusts to me. I can't earn it what God entrusts to me. David knew that God had given him the kingship. God had given it to him. From that moment he walked in from that shepherd's field and he stood before Samuel and he was anointed, he knew that God was the one who had given this to him. He knew that when he faced Goliath, it was God who worked in such a way in his life that God gave him the strength. God gave him the ability. God did that. All the times he was in the wilderness where God looked after him, he realized it was God that brought me through that valley. God brought me through that situation. God brought me through that struggle. And as he sits on the throne of Israel and they're united under him, he says, I could not earn this. God has given this to me. And God has entrusted this to me. And so when I am blessed... When I receive from God, what is implied that I should do? I should pass it on. I remember years ago, I think I, think I preached this message here, that, and I was talking about um, the Holy Spirit, but it works for grace as well, that, that the Holy Spirit can be like a tap or a water pistol or a pipe. And, and the, the difference was a tap that you have control over. You turn it on and off when you want. A water pistol... It only works as much as you pump it, and it's very limited. But a pipe, it has no control over the flow of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that that idea works for grace. Because if we are like a pipe and we let God's grace flow into our lives, because we know we cannot earn it, we know that God has entrusted it to me, and it is going to flow through my life, and it's going to spill over onto the people around me. That's what God wants. He wants his grace to flow through us. In 2 Samuel 9, 7, David is talking. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Again, we see David acting in a way to someone who I suppose the then world would actually say that should have been David's enemy. He should have been David's enemy. But again, David has consistently shown grace to Saul. So why wouldn't he show grace to his grandson? In fact, he goes above and beyond. He says, I'm going to give you back all the lands that your father had. So all of a sudden you're going to go from low to bar and the land that produced nothing to going back to the lands of Benjamin that Saul was in possession of. And in so doing, I'm going to add that you are going to sit at my table. You are, you are going to be going from a place that you are a possible enemy to a part of my family. David knew what had been given to him and he's actually then reached out and says, Mephibosheth, you're going to be part of that. I know you haven't earned it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because that's exactly what's happened to me. And that's why experiencing grace is so important because if we don't experience the grace of God, 
we cannot pass on to anyone else. Then we look at, and therefore I could never repay it what God redeems me for. The, again, we, we do, we, we get this silly idea in our heads at times that once we're sort of in the church and we go, oh yeah, I've got a big debt I owe God, so let's start working it off. We, we start working it off. I, I'll serve in this, I'll give this, I'll show up every Sunday. But as we heard in the start, showing up every Sunday only gives you two points to get into heaven. Okay, God does all the work. And so we, we can't repay what God has done, done in us. But in what we need to realize that he has redeemed us for a purpose. He's redeemed us for a plan for our lives. In 2 Samuel 9, 13, he says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. What we see here is, is Mephibosheth has gone from a place of like, like a, a third-rate celebrity at best to a place where he had the ear of the king. And, and, and David didn't say, here I'm your king and you are going to be there so I can rule over you. You are going to eat at my table. Because, because I loved your dad, yeah, like I'm Uncle Dave now. That's how it's going to be between us. And I, I want you to be a part of that. We, we need to realize that we, we can't pay off the debt that God has done. So stop trying. Stop trying to sort of make up for what God has done for us. But do start living the plan that God has got for your life. Remembering the grace that you have received. So I'm going to go back to that list and that question I asked. Who should we extend grace to? We need to extend grace to our enemies. We need to extend to those who have hurt us. We need to extend grace to those who have let us down. We need to extend our grace to those who have forgotten us. For those who have actually supported us and held us up. But the last group of people that we need to show grace to is not actually that big. We actually need to show grace to ourselves. We actually need to show grace to ourselves when we actually fall short of God's glory. And again, we're going to be looking at this a little bit more next week. It'll become a lot more evident as we we look at a flawed heart uh, in the life of David. But what we do see as this, this occurs is that even though David was flawed as much as any of us, grace was still available to him. There's a song that we sing that comes right from the Psalms, creating me a clean heart. Um, Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, but restore unto me um, the joy of thy salvation. That was David writing after one of his most low points in his life. And his desire was to come back into the presence of God. And he understood that grace was available to him. And I've said this already today. If we cannot receive grace for our mistakes, for our actions, for our attitudes, or our sins, we will not effectively live God's grace out for others. We, we can't do it. And so if you are sitting here today saying, I am not good enough for God, Two things. One, you are right. So go back. But at the same time, God doesn't care about that. He says, I love you too much. You don't have to earn 
your favour with me. I give unmerited favour to you. Yes, we are not good enough for God in any ways or, or means of our imagination, but at the same time, God says, that's not relevant because my love is bigger than that. I want, I, I want you to realise that my grace is there for you. And we see, just as I wrap up, we, for those who, who know that, that great verse out of Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. It goes on and it tells all the great things. He has the plans, give you a hope, give you a future. Okay, let's set the context for that. This is after centuries of disobedience by the people of Israel. Centuries. Now, none of you are even at that point where you've got centuries, a century under your belt. Bert's closer now, but like he's not there yet. Um, happy birthday to Bert for Friday. So he's closer. He's not there yet though. So Bert doesn't even have a century worth of, um, of mistakes and sins to make up for yet. The Israelites had centuries of times where they turned away from God, where they followed other gods, where they forgot about the God who had saved them over and over again. When God called them to go this way, they would go another way. And yet this is God saying to them with great promise, I have a plan for you. In spite of your sinfulness, in spite of your, 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 your inadequacy, in spite of everything that you have done wrong, I have a plan for you. To, I give you a future and a hope. I want to call you into something that is so great you won't even be able to imagine it. That same promise is there for us. The same promise is there for us when we are sort of saying, I fall short of God too much and God can't use me and I'll never be good enough for God. I'm not worth anything. God says, that is not relevant because of my plan and my love and my grace for you is there in abundance. So to live with a heart of grace, we must first receive that grace in full. We must be able to enter into God's presence and saying, yes, my sin is evident. And it's not that God doesn't care. It's that God loves us more than the fact that our sin has hurt him. He loves us more. Like Jesus on the cross is what it costs God to be able to forgive our sin. And he doesn't even hold that against us. He doesn't stand there and go, you know what? When you do that, you hurt Jesus. He doesn't do that. He says, come, you are forgiven. You are my child. And you need to know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. We can move past this. And so to have a gracious heart, you need to know that grace for yourself. You, you can't give it out. You can't show grace to your enemies if you haven't received in your own heart. You can't show, gra show grace to those people that have, have let you down. And your expectation from was for more and they just didn't meet your expectation and you feel disappointed in them. It may be stronger than disappointment, but we can give them grace if we've received grace. Do you know why? We've let God down and he's shown us grace. We have been God's enemy and he has shown us grace. We have heard God and he has shown us grace. You, you, you get the message, what's happening. God has shown us grace. And if we go, well, wow, I've got, well, I can pass it on to others. 
That's the challenge for you to this, this day, is to, to know the grace of God in your life and to be a tunnel or to be a, a pipe that just allows it to flow to the people around you. Let's just pray. Lord, we, we thank you today for your grace in its abundance. Jesus didn't give partial grace. He didn't give just enough to get us through a week. He gave us grace that would see us set free in our lifetimes. And I pray that we would receive it in full, that we would know that we are forgiven, that we are made right, that we are made a child of God, and that we can enter your presence freely because of your work. But Lord, I pray that as we receive that grace, that we would live as vessels of grace in the world. In a world that doesn't let go of hurts, in a world that doesn't let go of offences, may we live in such a way where we will show what it is to be filled with grace. And may that world see their need for your grace as well. And so this week, may we know that we are forgiven. May we know that we, your grace is there for us. And may it flow out of us to impact the world in which we live. We pray this in your name.